right, my friends, welcome to the Michael Slate Show. I am Sansara Taylor sitting in for Michael Slate this week, and I think we got on top of everything. I want to thank Gary Baca, our engineer, and Henry Carson producing, and we've got a great show for you. So at the back of the show, I'm going to talk with Rafael Caderas. Uh, we're going to talk about the Democratic Progressive Caucus's uh, short-lived uh, attempt to push for some kind of negotiations in the situation in Ukraine and how that got smacked down and the larger implications of that. Before that, we're going to look at a must-know chapter in American and world history. It's an American crime, the My Lai Massacre of 1968 in Vietnam, which will become all the more important and relevant after our first and main segment today, which I'm very happy to get into. Um, we teased you a little bit about it last week, actually quite substantively, but this week um, I'm so happy and pleased to announce to you and to invite you to experience for yourself a major uh, three-part interview that I had the honor and the privilege and the thrill to be part of conducting with the revolutionary leader Bob Avakian, up close and personal, heart and soul and hardcore for revolution. This is a leader for these times when the future of humanity hangs in the balance. And so I'm very pleased to be able to invite to talk with you about this, um, somebody who I sat right next to during the entire experience, the main host of the Revolution Nothing Less show. Andy Z, are you there with me? Yes, Sansar, can you hear me? Yeah, excellent. How you doing, Andy? Okay, uh, <clears throat> zooming along as they say, right? <laughs> Trying to keep up with the with the Zoom in the fast lane, here we are. So. Um, Glad you could be with us this morning. We had uh, just an extraordinary experience doing these interviews, three interviews with Bob Avakian, and uh, they're going to be premiering this week on Thursday night on the YouTube show that we co-host together, together, the Revolution Nothing Less show. Um, but here, and so people can tune in all over the country for that at youtube.com slash the rev comes. And we're going to talk a little bit about what, what to expect there and why you should, should tune in. But here in Los Angeles, we're also, you and I are hosting an in-person screening of the, of the premiere of these interviews on Thursday night. I wonder if you want to just take a moment and tell people a little bit about what they should expect in these interviews. Okay, Sansara, look, um, this is an interview with Bob Avakian, and I just want to say this, just to put simply and to put it straight ahead, we need a revolution. Humanity faces two existential crises, which means the future of humanity could be no more. <clears throat> One, which we'll get into, the danger of an actual nuclear war or an all-out war at <clears throat> this point with Russia, even as Biden has been threatening China. Also, the environment, we may have passed the point of return, but we're certainly getting very close to it where the earth could be uninhabitable by human beings, or at least most of them. Mm. And then just, uh, and the system is not, the system cannot solve either of these existential crises. And then take a look at the situation. Um, the audience, we really have to think about this. Black people in this country, after the beautiful rising in 2020, police murder in 2021 was greater than it's ever been. Education for the masses of people is worse than it's ever been. Women have been stripped of the right to abortion. Immig uh, immigrant crisis is worse than it's ever been. This system can't solve any of this. They've been given plenty of time to do it. Their time needs to be up. Things have only gotten worse. We need a revolution. 
And for a revolution, and not one of like a revolution in our minds or not just tinkering at the edge of this and getting a little more goodies for this one or that one, it's certainly not the kind of racist jockeying that we saw for saw recently in the city council of Los Angeles where they were arguing over who's going to get more of the crumbs from the master's table. No, we need a revolution. And so, as you said, Sansara, people are going to get a chance to get really up close and personal and meet a leader for this time when the future hangs in the balance. And they're going to see that Baba Vakian is full, as we've put it on our publicity, full of heart and soul. He sings, he laughs, and he gets right down to the cold, hard truth that we need an actual revolution, how we're going to make that revolution, and that we could actually bring about a far better society where people together, the people who are now ruled out of political life, ruled out of any decent living, are busy doing all kinds of just scrambling to survive and hustling here and there, but we could really go to work to overcome all these forms of oppression. So on November 3rd, next Thursday night, we'll this be- This Thursday out. night, this Thursday night. Yes, it is. I guess it is this Thursday night. Well, you know, I, I start my week on Sunday. So. I just want everybody to not, not get it on the our next, calendar incorrectly. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, you know, it's um, Bob Avakian, has led an extraordinary life. He's somebody who came of age in the 1960s. Um, he was very closely impacted by, in his personal life, and we talk a lot about this, and he shares very generously in, about this as well, um, from his close friendships and interactions with Black people growing up, but then encountering the Black Panther Party very early on and getting turned on to revolution through that process. And, and he... In this interview, I'll just say, being part of conducting the interview, being part of watching it, editing it, getting ready to share it with the world, I, I have learned so much more about how he sees the world, how he goes through the world, how he, is, how he has been shaped by the people he's interacted with in his life to be determined to figure out how are we going to get to a world where people don't have to suffer the horrors and the indignities large and macro on a global scale and personal in their lives on every level from living under the system that crushes the spirits and degrades people and pits people against each other and wears them down and gets them thinking they can't even rise above it. And this is somebody who has been shaped by this, he shares this, and he sees tremendous potential where a lot of people don't, where he doesn't flinch from the dangers that we face, the danger of world war. In fact, he looks at it more unflinchingly than, than anybody, you know, the dangers that we face, but also the potential to break through and get beyond this system and for people to rise up and get beyond this system. And he never sugarcoats the truth on that. So there's just so much I, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with people um, in this format. I know last week we played uh, an, er, an early excerpt uh, of the of the second one of our three interviews, we had three sit downs with Bob Bacon and we played an excerpt that looks at what you were mentioning a moment ago, Andy, the, the danger of open escalation into inter-imperialist war between the US and Russia. Right now it's a proxy war in the Ukraine. Um, I think it might be good, I wanna play a little excerpt of that, give people a sense again about the moment we're in and all of our responsibility to look at this and to come and learn from somebody who is really navigating and pointing a way through all of this. Um, I'd like to play that excerpt and then just talk a little bit more about it. You can see that this is this is a battle between imperialist powers, you know, all of which on both sides 
you know, have whole histories of horrendous atrocities and, you know, base themselves on vicious exploitation of people and oppression of people all over the world. This is what's at stake. You know, and I just have to say, you know, certain people who have postured as being progressive have come out and made the most outrageous statements in the context of thinking. And I'm going to say it, a little Stephen, you know, coming out and saying, you know, well, we're, we're more powerful than Russia. Why don't we just bomb the shit out of them? I mean, what are these people thinking? You know, they're so committed, ultimately, despite their progressive pretensions, they're so committed to U.S. imperialism that they've almost lost their minds. You know, what do you think is going to happen? You go bomb Russia. You know, why don't we just wipe out all their air force? I mean, this kind of talk is like totally reckless and irresponsible. And when it comes from people with so-called progressive pretensions, it's all the more disgusting. I just have to say that. And people need to get up off this American chauvinism. You know, this country, you know, Look, you know, and some of the same people who will rattle on about the whole history of this country and slavery and all that turn around and, you know, and are, are either silent or openly supportive of the same system when it goes into the international arena to enforce its parasitism of plundering and exploiting people all over the world because I guess they have a little bit of a sense. You know, it's like somebody once said, living, somebody once wrote saying, Living in this country is a little bit like living in the house of Tony Soprano. You know that there's a lot of goodies coming in. You don't know exactly, maybe you're not really entirely up on what Tony Soprano's doing out there, but you kind of have a sense that whatever he's doing, and how, however you know, f***ed up you might think it would be, is allowing you to have all the goodies that comes from living in the house. And that's what the, you know, that's what the attitude of a lot of these American chauvinists you know, so-called progressives, you know, and people need to get up off this and wake up to what's actually happening and what they're, look at the, you know, you think the history of this ruling class in this country is somehow divorced from what they do in the world as a whole? You know, do you think their nature changes when they go out outside the borders of the U.S. and all of a sudden they become, you know, uh, the really kind-hearted people, you know, who are carrying out charity around the world, you know? Yeah, they do some charity to cover up the crimes that they're committing. So Andy, that's just a that's just a short excerpt, and it's it's one of the dimensions, and it's a very important dimension of of what we got into with Bob Avakian. Um, we played the longer answer that that is a part of last week here on the radio, um, and we heard from some people about it. We also played it on the Revolution Nothing Less show. We've been hearing some reactions from people and some anticipation to see the rest of it. I wonder if you want to comment on any of your own reaction to this portion of it or, or what you've learned from some of the responses. Well, since our, this was uh, extraordinary, in 15 minutes, how much of the reality of the situation that we face. Bob Avakian was able to concentrate. And look, he's also struggling with people. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, the first time uh, I ever, uh, you know, or, or when he said, uh, sitting there, the uh, story about the writer who wrote about Tony Soprano and that you're living in that house and you know this stuff come, has come to you in some way, but you don't want to ask the question. This describes most people in this country, even if you're at the bottom of the pile in this very parasitic country, you got a room most likely in your house. And if you're homeless, you can find some place to go and turn a knob and get fresh water. You're not standing in line to drink 
poison water, although maybe you are in, right, in many cities, at, you know, in terms of Detroit or certainly uh, down in Jackson, Mississippi. So things are, are certainly very bad in this country, but it's a, there's a whole system and we have to understand this is an imperialist system. And, and that's very important for people to understand because there aren't, there isn't a good guy in terms of the US and Russia in this war in Ukraine. It's an mm. inter-imperialist war. And uh, Bob Bakian provokes people to say, to, to think about, is that true? And if so, what are the interests of the people all over the world? But what do we have to do? Is, he says it's that the US is the gr greatest oppressor of people in the world now. You know? So uh, if that's true, then what does that mean? Should we just be knee-jerk behind our own ruling class because we live here? We're a ruling class that poses liberators and defenders of the people of the Ukraine, when in reality, they're far from being the liberators of anyone Sara. And then, you know, look, he says straight up in this interview, and you've put it on the show before, that the people who rule this country must be overthrown through a revolution. Because it's, is it true, people in our audience should ask, can these imperialists actually decide to be the good guys and the liberators? Can they just declare themselves to be that? When they do that all the time, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with uh, Frederick Douglass's July 4th speech, you know, a, a century and a half ago, actually even more than that, where he said, search out every abuse. And when you have found the last, lay your facts by the side of the everyday practices of this nation, and you will say with me that for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. So therefore, don't go arguing that, oh, I don't need to hear Bob Avakian, he's an old white man, and listen to these interviews for themselves, and do so not just for yourself, mm. but for the future of humanity. You know, you mentioned, uh, and people say this, it's very, it's very au courant right now. Oh, I don't want to listen to an old white man. Oh, we got to follow leaders who look like us. And, and if anything, I mean, there's a million examples from life, but the LA City Council scandal, um, the racism that just oozed out of these representatives is just yet another example of you can, you can follow a fool or a representative of this system because they look like you, or you could follow somebody who's really done the work to understand what are the problems we're up against and how do we get free? And Bob Avakian is controversial. He's an incredibly controversial figure for the, he's loved for the exact same reason. He's loved and respected by many for the exact same reason that he is hated and slandered and disparaged by others. He is fighting for the most radical change the most radical transformation of the world and of the people and the way we relate to each other, the way we think, the way we, the morality that people conduct themselves with and what kind of future humanity is, is going to have, the most radical revolution that could be made. So of course, people who are invested in this system, including people in this country who like to pose as, as radical or progressive, but don't really want to, uh, put it on the line to, to do what is required to bring the system down, they're going to attack and disparage him. But for people who are serious, for people who want to really understand how are we going to get out of these existential crises that humanity is facing? How are we going to bring about a different world for, for the world's children and future generations? This is the place to be. And I, uh, the interviews as a whole, this leader is somebody to meet and get to know. 
And the premiere, the in-person hosting uh, uh, premiere that you and I, Andy, are going to host, this is going to be an opportunity to hear this interview, to meet this leader, and to come together with others who are who are concerned about the world, who want to know and want to come together to figure out how we're going to change this and not be passive. And I thought another thing that really came through for myself personally and being part of doing these interviews and from what I've heard from others, we had a small audience there in person when we did it. Many of them and the people who've seen the excerpt, this interview in a time when there is so much horror brought people a lot of hope that there is a way through this. I want to play... Um, a medley of some of the voices that are of people call, who are calling on you to watch this. There's going to be screenings um, across the country in Berkeley, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, as well as people tuning in online wherever they are around the country and around the world. So when you come, you're part of something bigger as well. I want to play these voices. Tune in November 3rd to a special episode of the R&L Revolution Nothing Less show, premiering a three-part interview with Bob Avakian the most important political thinker and leader in the world today. I can't wait to watch the three-part interview with Baba Vakian on the RNL show. That's the third, the 10th, and the 17th. And I'm listening on my phone to Baba Vakian, who I did not know was going to be on the show, uh, which was a, a big treat because I'm one of those people that the last thing in the world that I wanted to do was follow a white man leading a revolutionary movement. And I thought, wait a minute, read it, read it, you know? And um, and once I started reading uh, uh, Bob Avakey and stuff, it was the stuff I believed in, you know? It really, it really, I really resonated with it. Now, if you've seen episode 124, then you've already begun to get a glimpse of BA's deep analysis on the situation in Ukraine. And hopefully you were provoked and challenged not to stay in your lane or not to side with one imperialist or the other, but instead provoked and challenged to go deeper to what's happening in the world and what's in the interest of humanity. Now these special interviews with Bob Avakian should also give you a sense of his generosity of spirit, his heart for humanity, and a deep scientific analysis of what's going on in the world and why we need an actual revolution. The thing that I've learned digging into Baba Vakian is that revolution is real and that his leadership is real and that the science that he has firmly put revolution on is real. And that's what he does. He talks about the reality of what we're in and, and the reality of what we can do to make it different. Get to know this leader for a time when the future hangs in the balance. Save the dates, November 3rd, November 10th and November 17th. And please, don't forget to tell others and have watch parties and discussions afterwards. Revolution nonetheless. All right, so I am joined here by Andy Z, uh, who is the main host of the Revolution Nothing Less show on YouTube. And he and I uh, had the experience recently of being able to conduct three major interviews with the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian, that are going to be premiering, the first of which is premiering this week. We're talking about these interviews. We're inviting you to tune in online at youtube.com slash the RevComs this Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific to see it. So we have just a few minutes left with Andy. Um, what I'd like to do is give you just a, a little teaser of how we begin the interview. Um, because this is, we've been talking about the war, 
the danger of world war spinning out of a nuclear war out of what is now a proxy war between the US and Russia in Ukraine, which is something Bob Avakian goes into. We talk about the need for revolution. I asked Bob Avakian about what a revolution is. He gets into that. I ask him what it's like to be loved and hated so intensely. And, and he talks about how he navigates that, how he understands that. We go a lot of places. Um, and I want to show you or let you hear how we began the interview. I asked him about a spoken word piece that he did a number of years ago, and I read a verse of it. And then I asked him about how he came to have this view of America that's concentrated in the verse where he talks about really how the USA is number one in terms of plunder, war crimes, crimes against humanity from its founding to today. So I'm going to play just a, the tail end of my question to him in the very beginning of his answer to give you a feel for this. Did you always have this view of America? And if not, how did you first come to see this country in this way and its role in the world? Oh, 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 oh no. I, I, I was a very loyal American. You know, I think I said in my memoir that one time I said I felt like getting down on my knees and thanking God that I was born in this great country, unlike all these other unfortunate people all around the world who were, uh, you know, forced to live in other countries. And I remember uh, when I was 16, I think, I went to a baseball game, a Giants baseball game in San Francisco, and of course they played the national anthem before, and so, you know, everybody rose, and I got up, and I enthusiastically was singing, you know, oh, say, can you see, et cetera, et cetera. And when it finished, the woman in front of me turned around and said, my, you have a beautiful voice. And, and I just couldn't, can't help thinking back about the irony of that, you know, but then, as I did learn things, I used to go to the games and, and uh, you know, this was during the Vietnam War when they would play the national anthem. I did a different version that someone I knew was part of the movement that I was part of made up, which was, oh, Uncle Sam, get out of Vietnam. Get out, get out, get out of Vietnam. So that was a different <laughs> rendition of the song. and. Didn't get quite the same response <laughs> from the people in front of me, but you know that that was a transformation I went through, and uh, you know it was a lot of different things. I, I you know grew up in Berkeley. All right, so we we cut that off. It's the point is you got to come and you got to hear it for himself for yourself. He continues from there, and it's really a journey. It's really a journey, as I said, uh, Bob Avakian. He is the most radical the foremost, the most important political thinker and leader in the world today. He's somebody who's never given up on revolution. He's, he's never given up on revolution since the 60s because the problems that people rose up against then, the problems of the, of the crimes, the imperialist war crimes, invasions, occupations, and plunder that this system wages around the world has not stopped. It's gotten worse. The problems of white supremacy, of the brutal treatment by police, by the prison system, and by just the relations in this society of black people and other people of color has not gotten less, it's not gone away, it's not been resolved, it's intensifying. And then we're living in a time of rising fascism, of existential dangers to the future of humanity. And yet the possibility, not only the need for a revolution remains, but the possibility to make a revolution is heightened in these times, but only if people fight for that, take up the leadership that's being provided for that. And so this is something that Bob Avakian is stepping into and is providing an understanding of and a way forward for in a way that nobody else is in the world today. And this, this interview was so 
I mean, it's an extraordinary journey. It's a, it's a very heartfelt invitation. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be inspired. You're going to be left thinking about things in new ways. And if you come out and you see it together with others, you're going to be going through that process with others. You can get more information at revcom.us. Um, also, if you can't make it in person, tune in anywhere around the country or the world at uh, youtube.com slash the revcoms. I want to thank Andy Z for joining me for this. Do you have any final words you want to say before uh, to, to our audience here? Well, since our, unfortunately, I missed a lot of what you said, uh, uh, Zoom was updating me and cutting me off from the call. So I understand. Um, yeah. I, I, just to update people, I think you probably told everybody what, what's important about this. But there's no other voice that's that that's out there now like Bob Avakian. And it's not just a voice. It's not just an analysis. It's a way we could actually get free. And this is a big deal at a time when the future of humanity hangs in the balance. And, you know, there are people going to have questions about leadership, and they should have questions, but not refuse to listen to leadership, not at a time like this, and really not at any time. And to get a chance to see Bob Avakian just in, you know, really up close with the two of us, mm -hmm. talking to you, joking, bringing to you his experience and how he came up in a time in history and, and with experiences where he was able to uniquely come up with and work on a more objective, a more scientific way of understanding the world, of knowing the world for the purpose of changing it to emancipate all of humanity. That's what you're going to get. Uh, but let's all get together and, and get with Bob Avakian uh, this coming Thursday. All right, Andy, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us here this morning. Um, I'm really looking forward to being with you Thursday night and everybody who comes out. Uh, just one last time for everybody listening, uh, you can find more information at revcom.us, the website. If one woman hurts, if one woman cries, if one man bleeds, rise. Up, get up. Dance up, get up, sing up, get up, change everything. Up, get up, dance up, get up, sing up, get up, change everything. Silence must stop, violence must end, broken body and spirit will rise again. Strength in numbers, take a stand, right the wrongs, don't that you are listening to the one and the only Michael Slate show. We talked about the crimes of this country. We talked about one of the big um, formative experiences you even heard in that snippet of the interview with Baba Bacon is his experience learning about the Vietnam War and how it was formative in changing his view of America. You heard him say when he was young, he actually fell down to his knees and was thankful that he was born in this country. He was a patriotic American and he shifted. And Vietnam was a big part of that. So I thought it'd be a good time 
to share an American crime, which everybody should know. Everybody in this country needs to know and needs to learn. It gets to the heart of what this country and its troops do around the world, um, but it's not well known enough. And, I, and it relates directly to that experience in Vietnam. This is the My Lai massacre. And it's an American crime is a series at Revcom.us that documents the hundred worst crimes committed by this country. People should go there, they should read it. But we, uh, the filmmaker David Zeiger put together this segment. It's uh, an audio installment of it. And so I think it does the work for us here. And I want you to hear it now. You may have heard this story, but you may not know its secret. On Saturday morning, March 16th, 1968, 100 soldiers from Charlie Company, U.S. Army Americal Division, entered and took over My Lai, a small hamlet in Vietnam's countryside. As one soldier described it, quote, we met no resistance, and I only saw three captured weapons. It was just like any other Vietnamese village, old papasans, women, and kids, end quote. The order we were given was to kill and destroy everything that was in the village, another soldier later testified. It was clearly explained that there were to be no prisoners, and those orders were obeyed. Here's how Nick Terse, author of Kill Anything That Moves, The Real American War in Vietnam, describes the scene. Over four hours, members of Charlie Company methodically slaughtered more than 500 unarmed victims. They faced no opposition. They even took a quiet break to eat lunch in the midst of the carnage. Along the way, they also raped women, and young girls, mutilated the dead, systematically burned homes, and fouled the area's drinking water, end quote. At one point, dozens of villagers were forced into a ditch. Quote, I began shooting them all. I guess I shot maybe 25 or 20 people in the ditch, one GI later recounted. Men, women, and children, and babies. A baby crawling away from the ditch was grabbed and thrown back into the ditch and shot. After the slaughter, Charlie Company reported that 128, quote, enemy combatants, end quote, were killed in a fierce firefight. They were commended for their bravery by the highest commander in Vietnam, General Westmoreland, who called their day's work, quote, an astounding action that dealt the enemy a heavy blow, end quote. But wait a minute. They didn't know. A hundred American GIs spent an entire day murdering 500 men, women, and children, not one of them an enemy fighter, and military command did not know that's what they had done? The answer to that is simple. They did know. They knew exactly what had happened. And therein lies the secret of Mi Lai. A helicopter pilot named Hugh Thompson Jr., seeing the slaughter from the air, had landed his helicopter in the middle of the carnage, ordered his crew to aim their weapons at the murdering GIs, and flew 16 villagers to their safety. He then immediately wrote a report on what he had witnessed. His company commander threw the report in the trash before issuing a commendation for Captain Ernest Medina, the commanding officer of Charlie Company. Then another helicopter pilot, Ron Ridenauer, wrote letters to the military command and to Congress demanding an investigation. He had heard stories of the massacre from several Charlie Company GIs. Two investigations were conducted. First, Colonel Oral Henderson, who had canned Hugh Thompson's report, talked to a few of the GIs involved and concluded that only 20 civilians had been inadvertently killed 
during the, quote, firefight, end quote. Then Major Colin Powell led a second year-long investigation. His conclusion, quote, in direct refutation of this portrayal is the fact that relations between AmeriCal Division soldiers and the Vietnamese people are excellent, end quote. It took almost two years for the truth of the My Lai massacre to be revealed, and it was only because of journalist Seymour Hersh's reporting that 26 officers and enlisted men of Charlie Company were eventually court-martialed a year later. All were either acquitted or pardoned, except for one, Lieutenant William Calley. Calley was convicted of premeditated murder of not fewer than 20 people and sentenced to life in prison. But President Nixon immediately ordered him released from jail. William Calley served three years under house arrest. In 1971, he was praised as a hero in a hit record, The Battle Hymn of Lieutenant Calley. Hugh Thompson had saved the lives of 16 villagers at My Lai and testified at the trials. He was publicly vilified, threatened with court-martial for aiming weapons at U.S. soldiers, and was hounded over the next 10 years of military service. Thirty years after My Lai, in 1998, he was awarded a medal for, quote, bravery not involving direct contact with the enemy, end quote. In the decades since, My Lai, if it is even mentioned, is portrayed in the United States as a horrible, regrettable tragedy, born of the chaos and confusion that was the Vietnam War. As Colin Powell said in 2004, when he was U.S. Secretary of State during the Iraq War, quote, in war, these things happen every now and again, but they are still to be deplored, end quote. But the secret of My Lai isn't just that the massacre was known about at the highest levels of the military and government, and that they covered it up, then exonerated all of the murderers, even praising them. No. The secret of My Lai is this. It was policy. My Lai was, in essence, just another day at the office. It was an operation, not an aberration, as Ron Ridenauer would write years later. And when it comes to mass murder of civilians by the United States military in Vietnam, it was merely the tip of the iceberg. In the wake of the exposure of the My Lai massacre, the Army secretly launched an inquiry by a team of officers called the War Crimes Working Group. For the next five years, until the end of the war in 1975, that team sent monthly reports all the way up the chain of command. And what did they find? 9,000 pages of evidence revealed hundreds of atrocities committed by U.S. troops, including several massacres on the scale of My Lai. Thousands of incidents of rape, torture, murder, and wanton destruction of villages. And what did the military do with that information? They buried it. They buried it so deep that it wasn't until 1990 that researchers stumbled on the reports in an obscure room of the National Archives. They buried it because terrorizing the population of Vietnam, the people President Lyndon Johnson called dance, and soldiers at every level called gooks, was indeed U.S. policy. Terry Whitmore grew up in a Memphis ghetto and joined the Marines right out of high school. After six months of combat in Vietnam, he deserted to Sweden. In his memoir, Terry describes what happened one day when his company, Bravo Company, came upon a village with a suspected sniper in it. Well, men, the captain said, there it is. Level it. 
Terry goes on. Very calm. No emotion in his voice. He meant it. Just level it. We had a bunch of real go-getters who didn't have to be ordered again. Eyeballs bulging. Safety's off. These cats were more than ready to go at it. Marching right through this village. No resistance. Not a shot. We didn't even see a weapon all that day. Other than our own, of course. First gun team was at the village chief's hooch. Mainly women were inside. The M16 machine gun was set up outside the hooch, back about 10 yards, aimed right across the front door. A Marine with his M16 went in and forced these people out of the hooch at gunpoint, just running them out and into the fire of the M60. A complete slaughter. Every single one of those Vietnamese people were cut down. Not one had a chance to escape. That took care of most of the adult inhabitants of the village. The rest of that day was spent burning the hooches and killing anyone who was left. This is my company. Bravo. That was the My Lai Massacre, American crime. And I have to tell you, it, I don't care how many times I've heard that, I've watched that, I've read that. If you have a heart that tears you up, uh, we have just a few minutes left, and so I want to move ahead and invite our next guest. Let me remind you, you're listening to The Michael Slate Show, obviously. Our next guest is Rafael Caderas. He is a member of the Revolution Tour. He's a part of the Revolution uh, Nothing Less team. Um, and I wanted to take just a moment. Welcome, Rafael. Hey, thanks for having me, Sincera. <laughs> Very glad to have you. I wanted to talk to you about this um, Progressive Democratic Caucus uh, I was going to say stunt. It seems like they actually were trying to put out a letter and it immediately got smacked down in relation to the war in Ukraine. Maybe you could. It happened so fast. I'll be honest. It happened so fast and was smacked down so fast. I almost missed it. And I think a lot of people might have missed what happened in the broader lesson. So why don't you tell us what happened and, and, and why you think it matters? Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm like you. I'm still like angry and shaking a little bit from listening to that segment on the Milai massacre, you know, and that was all done, you know, under the Democrats. I mean, that was Lyndon Johnson at the time um, when when they were carrying out this massacre, when it was, you know, as the as the guy said, it was just another day at the office, you know, and as it was covered up up to the highest levels. And that that brings us to this situation with this uh, congressional letter which, um, you know, there was a, a letter that was uh, written by uh, the con House, Congre uh, House Progressive Caucus in Congress, and it was signed by, uh, you know, Pramila Jayapal and, like, all the squad, AOC, Ilhan Omar, um, 30 people actually signed this, this letter. And it was a very weak and mild appeal to, to Joe Biden to, uh, you know, accompany uh, military uh, equipment being sent to Ukraine and, you know, continue to pump weaponry into Ukraine, but to accompany this with uh, negotiations with Russia. And, uh, you know, it was not a call to end the war. You know, it was a call to, you know, to have some negotiations. And to be clear, if, if there's going to be any sort of end to this war, it's going to have to involve negotiations, you know. And this was just completely smacked down, slapped down by the, by the Democratic Party leadership. Um, it was, uh, you know, they denounced it. Um, they, they essentially said that, that 
negotiations with Russia is completely off the table at, at, at this time. And people should think about what this means, you know, that, that the Democratic Party won't even allow any talk of negotiating with Russia at a time when, as Andy was saying earlier, this, uh, the United States under the Democratic Party is escalating what is essentially a proxy war with Russia, you know, into, you know, in the direction of what could very easily become a nuclear war. You know, Putin has said, I'm not bluffing. Joe Biden and, and Democratic Party leaders have said there will be severe consequences for any even a use of tactical nukes. You know, this is the kind of gangster logic of escalation that could very easily lead to nuclear war. And the Democratic Party is saying no negotiations. That's off the table. Um, Pramila Jayapold, you know, was forced to clarify her position that indeed she does, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, support, fully support and back Ukraine and its efforts against military efforts against Russia. And then she retracted the letter. You know, she she uh, <laughs> uh, basically, you know, was forced to crawl before the Democratic Party leadership and say, oh, no, this is not, you know, we don't want to go negotiations with Russia. So, um, you know, I think that that, oh, and by the way, Bernie Sanders, <laughs> you know, the social Democrat um, was a big part of denouncing this letter, you know, and said this is this should be off the table. So, you know, I think we have to look at what this shows, which is, you know, one, that the U.S. is not seeking peace, <laughs> um, that, you know, that they've declared openly that this is not just about, you know, helping the Ukrainians or something that, you know, Lloyd Austin and the, uh, the U.S. military and political leaders have said this is about weakening Russia. This is about dealing a defeat to Russia. Um, and two, the Democratic Party is not a party of peace. You know, this is a party of war crimes, as we've been talking about from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the first and only country ever to use nuclear weapons, those were dropped under Democrats. Mm. You know, Vietnam, we were just talking about the crimes that were committed in, in Vietnam. You know, the drone wars under Obama, seven countries, you know, Yemen, you know, destroyed, back, backing Saudi Arabia to destroy Yemen. Obama did that, Biden did that. You know, this is, and now the Democratic Party is pushing things towards nuclear war and the social democrats the democratic socialists you know the so-called progressives including bernie sanders and now the progressive caucus that's retracted their weak letter are on completely on board with this you know because these democratic socialists are not you know they're for imperialism <laughs> they're not against u.s domination in the world they're for u.s domination in the world they just want you know, uh, and they're for the plunder and the exploitation of the U.S. all over the world, super exploiting people, getting profits. And then they just want a better distribution of those profits to Americans. You know, yeah. and, and this is this is completely disgusting. It's dangerous. And we need a completely we need to change this situation. You know, uh, <laughs> we need this war. Need People need to be sounding the alarm about this war. They need to be coming into the streets. They need to be demanding that this war be stopped. They need to be saying no U.S. NATO war 
with Russia, no World War III. This system, not humanity, is what needs to go extinct. And they need to be getting organized for revolution because we have to get rid of an imperialist system like this that, you know, on both sides, the U.S. and Russia, but the U.S. is the number one imperialist. But this is a system that will destroy humanity, that will engage in nuclear war to and will potentially risk the annihilation of humanity. Um, that is a system that that no one should tolerate that needs to go as soon as possible. We got to get organized to overthrow this system. I, you know, the, the one thing I want to add to what you're saying, and I want to thank you, Raphael, for joining us here, is that is that the choices this system gives people and its so-called democracy um, is between the Democrats, as you're well describing, a party of war crimes and crimes against humanity and and the Republicans who are a thoroughly fascist party right now. And I think it's important to say that, you know, the, the party of Trump, the party of white supremacy, brutal, open white supremacy, vile misogyny, that it's hatred of women, the assault on women's lives and their fundamental rights, that it's not, a, oh, the Democrats are the war makers. And right now, you know, some people are getting hoodwinked. Well, Trump wouldn't have gotten us into this war. Actually, they're both horrific, oppressive rulers fighting amongst each other over how to rule this world and this system. And what you're counterposing and what I want to invite people to learn more about once again and close out the show with this is a radical alternative, not picking between each of these segments of the rulers who are driving this, the, of this system, who are driving humanity towards these existential crisis of, of the way we began the show with Andy Z. He talked about two existential crises facing humanity. Um, the, the threat of open inter-imperialist war, even nuclear war, which Raphael, you were just talking about, and the climate destruction, which is intensifying by the day. All of this is driven by the system, whoever is ruling it. And what is the alternative is actually to get rid of this system, a real revolution, a fundamental radical change, not a piecemeal, not a reform within it, not something as weak and, and ineffectual as these progressive Democrats, as you well just demonstrated. So I want to to say that, to um, invite everybody listening once again, to experience, to learn from the up close and personal interviews that Andy Z and I did with the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian. He is also the architect of the new communism. He's developed a strategy for how a revolution could be made. People think that's not possible. You don't know till you've heard him break it down. People think you don't have leadership. You don't know. This is a man who could lead a revolution. This is a man who could lead people who are caught up in a lot of BS right now to change themselves and be part of this revolution. He, he brings the truth. And when you hear it from him, it's like nothing else. You're going to see the hardcore revolutionary up close and personal with all the heart and soul. You're going to be invited into a process together with others to learn about this and to lift our sights to, and yes, get organized to change the world. Um, so that'll be broadcast on Thursday night at youtube.com slash the revcoms at 5 p.m. Pacific. And so with that, I want to thank Raphael for joining us. I want to thank Andy Z for being my guest. So with that, I want to thank Outer National for the music at the top of the show. I want to thank Henry Carson for producing, Gary Baca for engineering, Andy Z and Raphael for being my guests today. I want to thank the whole RNL Revolution Nothing Less crew for all their work producing the interview I played portions of for you and every week. We've got some time left, so I'd like to play this. In confronting and moving to prevent this, one of the biggest obstacles standing in the way and weighing people down is American chauvinism. 
the disgusting notion that America and Americans are better and more important than everybody else. This is a poison infecting people broadly in this country, even among the bitterly oppressed. And there is a great need for people to break with this American chauvinism. Free yourself from the GTF, the great tautological fallacy. A fallacy, an idea or way of thinking that is false, wrong. A tautology, a round in a circle way of reasoning that asserts something and then claims to prove it by merely asserting the same thing again. So the great tautological fallacy to which I am referring is the notion that America is a force for good in the world. And therefore, whatever it does is good, or at least done with good intentions. Even if the same thing, when done by other forces, especially by forces opposed to us, is bad, is evil, because, because America is a force for good in the world. <laughs> Thus, in the grip of the great tautological fallacy, when one is told by the authorities and government and the media, etc., that North Korea developing a small number of nuclear weapons and a few long-range ballistic missiles poses a grave threat, one does not question. One does not ask why that is a grave threat, while the only country ever to use nuclear weapons, the United States, having thousands of nuclear weapons and the capability to use them anywhere in the world is somehow not a grave threat. Under the influence of the great tautological fallacy, one does not stop to think about the fact that in this situation, North Korea could only be developing this weaponry as an attempt to deter an attack from the United States. For North Korea's leaders know that if they initiated an attack, they would face massive, overwhelming retaliation. And from the point of view of the imperial rulers of the United States, such a possibility of deterrence is precisely the problem, because it could in some measure limit the ability of the U.S. to dominate and dictate. But from childhood, we are indoctrinated with a notion that America is a shining light of freedom, and the president of the United States is the leader of the free world. Well, when has this been true? Was it true during all the years of slavery? Or during the long years of Jim Crow segregation after the Civil War, when thousands of black people were lynched while leering mobs of white racists celebrated and black people as a whole were subjected to constant terror? Is this a shining light of freedom now when black people have to take to the streets demanding, stop killing us! because the police kill a thousand people every year, many of them unarmed, especially black people, Latinos, and Native Americans. When millions of women are battered and huge numbers are raped every year in this country, is this a shining light to the world? And what is this free world? Does it include the countries where the U.S. has backed and armed military juntas and other oppressive dictatorships with their bloodthirsty death squads terrorizing the people over the last hundred years and more throughout Latin America and many other parts of the world? Does it include today countries such as Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Turkey, all allies of the US and all ruled by brutally repressive governments? 
Or what about the Philippines, where the government has carried out the cold-blooded murder of more than 10,000 people within the last year, and the head of state, Duterte, openly boasts of this? Does the free world include Israel, a nuclear-armed state that has occupied Palestinian land in flagrant violation of UN resolutions for 50 years and forcibly maintains over a million Palestinian people in Gaza in what amounts to an open-air prison, living barely above survival level and subject to repeated bombardment by Israeli armed forces, which in 2014 with full support from the U.S. government, headed then by Obama, killed, killed over 2,000 people in Gaza. The overwhelming majority civilians, hundreds of them children. Is all this the free world? Once you remove the blinders of the great tautological fallacy, it can be seen that the free world simply means those parts of the world that are under the domination of or are friendly to the United States, no matter how monstrous their ruling classes may be. While the non-free world is made up of those who remain outside of, and especially those who oppose opposition or obstacles to the domination of the US empire. The US government wages war in Africa and Asia, as well as the Middle East, claiming it is fighting to defend civilization against the brutal and murderous Islamic fundamentalist jihadists. But the imperialists of the US are certainly no less brutal and murderous. And the civilization they boast of is literally built on the blood and bones of people all over the world. And why is this Islamic fundamental fundamentalism such a force now? Fundamentally, because of the workings of capitalist imperialism itself. Besides the overall role of imperialism in creating more favorable soil for these Islamic fundamentalists, actions of the US imperialists have further fed their growth. In the 1980s, the US actually armed and built up Osama bin Laden and other Islamic fundamentalists to strike at the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. In 2003, in violation of international law, the U.S. invaded Iraq to overthrow the head of government there, Saddam Hussein. This invasion was carried out under the cover of lies that Hussein possessed weapons of mass destruction. This invasion and the occupation of Iraq by American forces that followed caused hundreds of thousands of deaths, set off bloody conflicts among the Iraqi people, and created more fertile ground for Islamic fundamentalist forces. And the same thing happened in Libya. Under the presidency of Barack Obama, and with the insistent urging of then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the US intervened in a conflict within Libya on the side of forces opposed to the longtime ruler, Muammar Gaddafi. With the fall of Gaddafi, which was brought about mainly as a result of massive bombing of his forces by the US and its allies, the rivalries and conflicts within Libya were intensified and Islamic fundamentalist forces gained strength. Or take the case of Iran. In 1953, the CIA engineered a coup that overthrew a popular government that was moving to nationalize the oil of the country so that it could be used for the, for the development of its economy 
instead of being controlled and plundered by the U.S. and Britain. This coup brought the Shah of Iran to power, and the people of Iran suffered decades of torment and torture at the hands of the Shah and his secret police. And here again, these actions of the U.S. created more favorable ground for the forces of Islamic fundamentalism, which ultimately seized power through the revolution that overthrew the Shah in 1979. These are only a few examples of the American crimes that have been committed and the kinds of consequences that have followed from these crimes in countries all over the world. And all this underlines the crucial importance of casting off the blinders of the great tautological fallacy and breaking with American chauvinism. We need to think about humanity first and above all. اثر رنگی هستی بیا که بدون تو یه خونه لنگه میدون جنگه بیا که وقت ساختن تو دل دشمن بدون ترسه میدون جنگه دارا و ندار اثر غم و تبار مثل فشنگ قطار میدون جنگه تیغه شمشیر اشق شهامت و زین کن و جنس سفر وفا فصل اتحاده مرگ اختلافه افتخاره تکه کنم به هم وطن بشم تکه گاهش شروع خروش و تقیان مردمه چشم ساره فصل سمزداییه وسط باز و حضب باده ارتفکوری که داری با هر دین و آین کنارمون بیست سال ها کنار تیستادیم ما نره خشمه هزار بی صداییم شورشی کمریشه یه انقلابی داریم عرب و آشوری ارمنی تو کمن مازنی سیستانی و بلوچ و تالش و تاتو آزری پرد و گیلک یور فارسی غشقایی ما اتحاد روداییم دریاییم ورزشکار و هنرمند دست فروش تا کاسب از محصل و معلم مهندس تا کارگر میکنیم کرگوش دیکتاتور و با ساز حق زندگی آزادی میجنگیم تا پای مرگ شونه به شونه پا به پا دیوار دفاعی باورم به هم بستگی مثل ایمان الهی مثل مسخ دین مثل مجنون بی باکس اینه چاکی میران تومه موتی این بیگانه ها نیست میدون جنگه اثر رنگی هستی بیا که بدون تو یه خونه لنگ